working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, I'm Zach Albetta, and you're listening to the podcast Working Drummer. I'm talking today with Johnny Radelat, who has been playing with Gary Clark Jr. for the majority of Clark's rise on the national scene. Johnny grew up and went to college in Florida, but was soon drawn to the music-centric and very musician-friendly city of Austin, Texas, where he has spent the bulk of his career. In addition to touring and recording with Gary Clark Jr., Johnny recently enjoyed a week-long guest stint with the 8G Band on Late Night with Seth Meyers. As promised, we have new Patreon content to offer you. John Hull from Drum Paradise Nashville has put together a snare tuning tutorial video for us. To access this and the other bonus content we're adding monthly, go to patreon.com slash working drummer and become a patron in any amount. Really, any amount is appreciated if you see fit to contribute even a dollar a month. That'll go towards covering the expenses of bringing you this podcast every week. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. We got a great message from someone who recently became a patron, and I wanted to share this with you real quick. Miguel Lyons Cavazos writes, First off, I love, love your podcast. Thank you. I've been devouring it on my commutes to and from gigs. I'm a gigging drummer in L.A., so that means lots of commute time. Don't I know it? Uh, great, great stuff. In fact, I'm playing in a country cover band, and I was telling a friend yesterday how I feel more connected to the Nashville drumming scene due solely to your podcast than I do to L.A. drummers. This does not reflect well on my networking skills, but it's a compliment to your podcast. Uh, Miguel, thank you for the kind words and for your donation. We really appreciate both. Uh, keep grinding it out there on those L.A. freeways. Uh, and if you dig back into our, our, into our archive, uh, you'll find a good number of L.A. drummers we've talked to, such as Jamie Tate, Herman Matthews, Bernie Dressel, Andy Sinisi, Jake Reed, Bart Robley, Dan Schnell, and of course not one but two with the great Peter Erskine. So be sure to check those out and uh, and go go hunt those guys down in L.A. They won't bite. So this is a pretty quick talk that I had with Johnny. He had a small window of time between a bus ride and a sound check, and he talked with me from a restaurant bar, so you'll hear a bit of background noise. Uh, but we really appreciate him making himself available when and where he could, and I think we fit uh, quite a bit of good stuff into a short time here. So hope you dig it. Here's Johnny Rattelat. I want to get to all the Gary Clark Jr. stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. first of all, you just came off a, a little stint with the uh, the Seth Meyers thing, right? Yeah, man. What was that experience like? Uh, it was cool. It was, it was definitely a learning experience. Uh, you know, so so I got that. They have guest drummers on that. I don't know if you checked that out. Yeah. At all. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a perpetual series of uh, week, yeah. week-long people. And, and all my, you know, friends and just dudes that I look up to, touring guys, um, have done the show, you know. Right. When they, so we, 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 played, we played there with doing a song with Gary as a musical guest uh, last year. And the music producer asked if I'd be interested. And I was like, hell yeah. I wasn't quite sure what it entailed. But um, basically, you know, you go in every morning uh, 
cool thing is it's like it's almost like a nine to five job. You go you go in at, at ten a.m. right work on you you go into this rehearsal room that they have a demo recording set up uh-huh. um and they get great sounds like recording little ditties for the show but uh you record five pieces for that night's show um and you learn a couple of new covers most of most of the covers are stuff that you know that most people are familiar with a lot of Bowie stuff uh, right pick, Bowie, Pixies, The Cure, stuff like that. Um, and that's like songs that you play for the studio audience between, you know, before they roll the show. Um, but uh, yeah, you go in and you, you put on in ears, and, you know, the tricky part is you're listening to cues from direct, from a producer the whole time. Wow. Um, so somebody in the booth. And, yeah, and then you're also you have to keep eyes on because as a drummer, you're responsible for starting and for counting everything off, right? And stop and stopping everything on a dime. Um, so you got to keep an eye on the floor um, pro- producer um, who will give you a cue when they're coming in and out of commercials and whatnot, and you know you you play a big old fill to round it off and stop on the next downbeat, right? Um, so you kind of got to discipline yourself to not play too many fills during the grooves because uh-huh. um, the band needs to know without looking at you where we're stopping because they're not keeping an eye on the producer as a drummer is. So, so when you do the, your big fill, that's that's the, the whole band's gonna stop on the downbeat, you know. Man, um, yeah. So like this is this is a lot of responsibility uh, for a chair that is somebody new every week. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So, like and leading leading up to this, or before you did it, like did they did they make this clear to you, or did they ask you if you'd be comfortable doing all this, or was it they just throw you um, into it? Like, here's the yeah, game. You get on the phone with the music producer for a minute, and he breaks it down for you. Um, and they also tell you, he's like, "Don't worry, we've we've made every mistake in the book. You're gonna <laughs> fuck up. You're gonna fuck up the first night." Right. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, Which is not not comforting at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, so, like, did you did you get a taste for that kind of TV gig? Like enough to I did, man. Kind of get a surpri- feel for if if it's something you'd want to do. Surprisingly, I I was really into it. Like once once I got in the groove of it, I was like I was totally into it. And, um, it's definitely a different fucking world. Than, yeah. You know, and any of us are used to right. completely different world, completely different psychology or, or philosophy as far as the approach to playing a gig. You know what I mean? The momentum is like, you know, you play a two hour set or an hour set and you have a flow to it, you know, that's that's constant. It's a constant thing. Right. Um, this is like a very like you have to be in the moment and then let go of that moment and move on to the next thing because you know, you'll play a 30 second snippet and, you know, you get done and you're like, damn, I should have done this differently or this differently. And you realize, oh, I'm wasting time. I need to start paying attention to my notes for the next thing that's going to come up in two minutes. And right. you only played it, played it once that morning. And you don't, you know, you, you got to be ready to go for the next thing. So you, you learn to like ball it up and toss it in the can, you yeah. know, which is a different mentality than like the you know, and you got to start with new energy for the next thing. And yeah, it's, you know, I was, 
in my mind after the first night I went to, I was at a bar watching some baseball and uh, I was like oh okay so the philosophy the, the psychology of it is a little bit more like baseball where you're kind of sitting in the dugout chewing whatever <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you know and then you gotta be on point for a second and then you're back to the dugout waiting and you're on point for a second and you know yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you gotta you gotta let go of things quickly and that's also the way they write because you know they have to they have to spew out five pieces every day for each night and kind of keep it fresh and you know how writing goes uh, you sit in a room for an hour with people you could be focusing on one little turnaround for hours right with with this you have an hour to write five pieces so you can't really stick you can't really hash over and then it actually makes for good writing because your your instinct is generally you know your first notion is kind of my experience has been that your first notion is kind of it's a good if you have if you have musicians with good feel and right and tasteful musicians you know your, your first thing is usually the good thing yeah I recently talked to uh, Chad Gamble who is uh, Jason Isbell's drummer and and he uh-huh. said they they take that approach in the studio with you know they don't they don't arrange songs to death they don't really get yeah. uh, advanced looks at songs before they go in the studio um, Jason just kind of lays it on them and and uh, they go with you know what they're hearing in that moment and that ends up being the record for the most part yeah that's um, awesome man. have you ever played musicals no we I've, um, I've, we've talked a bunch about musicals on on the podcast and it sounds like that TV gig that you did sounds like a super condensed version of a musical like it, a big production in which music plays a role but it's like you're on again you're off again there's this flow to it that you have to jump on and off right yeah the closest thing I've done to that is you know in in high school I was in some orchestra stuff like that where you'll play one timpani part and then you're out right for, you know um yeah and like I, I did I, the one part I really like of it is following you know how you if you're in the mindset of following the musicians you're playing with and mm-hmm. feeding off of that and kind of in this setting you're following visual cues or what's going on around you and the only other time I've done something like that is playing um a live soundtrack to a Halloween this Halloween event where there was a movie playing and you're playing a live soundtrack to it and you're kind of following the movie you're kind of keeping an eye on the movie and right. taking cues from that that was the closest thing is like you know on the show you have like they'll announce a guest and they'll walk on and you're supposed to stop the song as close to when the guest butt hits the seat right so you got a, the immediate next downbeat. Or if, if you're used to squaring things off to fours, which I am very much so, yeah, like finishing out a phrase or Definitely, something, yeah. you got to get used to stopping in the middle of a phrase on the following downbeat. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're, you're following. You're following instead of following the musicians you're playing with. You're following external cues, which is which is kind of a different thing. I remember watching yeah. uh, uh, Paul Schaefer on the Late Show with Letterman, and he was he was a master at that. And his band yeah. seemed to be just like so in tune with him; they could end a song convincingly yeah. anywhere, like on he, any beat. Yeah, he had he had like a hand signal. Yeah, it was just like a little correctly. flip of yeah, his hand, yeah. and they'd be like, "It's right here." <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so, uh, talk a little bit about. Um, uh, how you came to, to Austin and how uh, you entered the orbit of, uh, of Gary Clark Jr. So, I uh, 
grew up in Miami, went to high school in Miami, started playing there. It was like playing in punk rock bands in high school and stuff like that. Um, nothing serious. I never quite looked at it as a means, as a way of making a living or anything I wanted to pursue. At the time, I just wanted to pursue mm-hmm. getting dates and partying. Right. You know what I mean? I was yeah. a kid. Yeah. Um, uh, then I got into col- in college at University of Florida. Um, midway through getting a psychology degree, I started. I had stopped playing drums for a while, and I met up with some friends from high school, from marching band in high school, who were playing reggae music and like soul music and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. around the same time, I met Spencer, and um, um, so I started playing again. And the the three-piece reggae band that was in got regionally well-known and I started second-guessing my, my my school thing. Right. Um, I reluctantly finished my degree out um, mm-hmm. while, while simultaneously starting the tour with that band and doing shows with other stuff. I met I knew Spencer. Um, we were doing this, the beginnings of what became the Soulphonics. Right. And th- um, we, should, we should mention that like the reason that you're here basically is because uh, Ruby Bell hooked us up. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the current drummer in Ruby Bell and the Soulphonics and you <laughs> were the first uh, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, I don't even think the name, I don't think even think we had the name the Soulphonics till my last like couple months living in Gainesville. So simultaneously as, you know, things that, that original band I was in kind of fell apart and I, I was kind of in between gigs per se. And, um, Spencer was thinking about moving to Atlanta simultaneously. I was thinking about moving to Austin just cause I'd been there a couple times and it's, it was seemed like a really attainable music scene. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of tension yeah. to this, to the city at the time, which yeah. there was, it wasn't just seemingly there, there was, once I moved there, I realized, Oh, there's more going on here than just, than even other bigger cities. Right. Know? Right. That's um, interesting. You, you use the word attainable, like it's an attainable music scene. Right. Um, Cause you know, and I've, LA, I've, New York. Yeah. It can, yeah. it can seem yeah. inaccessible and, and unattainable. Yeah. Um, and you know, I haven't really spent, any time in Austin, but I've I've heard that about it that it's just very you know the music scene, especially the live music scene, is very ground level, and um, it is you know man. if you're if you're any good, you can just get really busy really fast playing um, you know it just very true. tons of live venues. Yeah, and that's what I found. You know, one of the things when I visited there. And I will say there there was there was a woman involved who is now my wife <laughs> who, moved, who moved there and right. you know she kind of coaxed me and yeah. and, and well, that's, introduced that's a, good, me. that's a good reason as long as it works out you know. hey, there's, yeah <laughs> um, you know one and one thing that I noticed there was first of all there there was this new thing going on called Ham Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. Hmm. Which was providing free healthcare, free drug rehabilitation, free clinical therapy to musicians, oh, cool. free dental. Man, um, if you prove that you that you made a living doing music, not even a hundred percent of your living. If you had you know part time job, but you were doing gigs, uh, like they were offering, which nowhere else in the country had something like that for the for artists. Right. Um, that was a huge draw to me. I just was like, well, this this is a good sign that there's like support going on. Yeah. In this city, does that still and exist? You know, 
yeah, still exists. It's a, you know, it's changed a little bit because the healthcare laws have changed and Obamacare has kind of shifted things so they can't offer full, but they give, they still offer musicians who make under a certain amount of money still get offered, um, what they call premium assistance. Uh-huh. So they pay for a good chunk of your health care premiums. That's so sometimes. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. But, uh, that was one of the things where I was like, Oh wow, this city's really progressive in that sense. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I moved there, uh, packed my car, did it, did the drive, moved there, started calling, went through a list of people I knew in Austin, which were musicians who would tour through Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one group being the Greyhounds. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who who I know through, like, Stanton Moore, who I'm a huge fan of, right. produced their, their first record. And yeah. They used to come through Gainesville all the time, and, and Spencer and the Soulphonics would open for them. Right. And, um... We did a show they, with them like a, a year ago. I can't. I think yeah, we did a double I'm bill sure. at Terminal West or something. But I, I saw them yeah. live for the first time a year ago, and it was just killer. stupid good. Yeah, killer band, and they've always had great drummers. Yeah, um, it's it's been the two main guys, Andrew and Anthony, but they've had a kind of rotating drummers. Right, um, and it's always like dudes that are amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hit those guys up, and they're like, "Oh, we're playing this new festival, Austin City Limits." in a couple of weeks and we just lost our drummer so uh i'm like i got the albums i'll start learning the tunes and um that worked out and i jumped in to quickly realize that like you know i kind of had to change my philosophy and kind of learn new styles hmm. um, to get more gigs in austin yeah and realize that like austin was you could place out seven nights a week at different bars and clubs as long as you weren't trying to hit for the fences and play to like a thousand people and like as long as you were okay you were okay with making minimum money and you know kind of maybe playing a little bit quieter which was a good practice yeah um for happy hour crowds and you know (laughs) yeah that kind of stuff that you know pays the bills um and it's you know a lot of musicians see that as a as a throwaway um I, th- I, th- I think of that as great practice. Yeah. And it's it's a very humbling thing to, like, try to play as quiet as possible at certain tempos, especially. It's like, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And those um, are the gigs, like, those, I mean, you can view them as throwaway gigs, but for a lot of us, uh, you know, those are the gigs that fill in the little, the little gaps between the right. big cool shit, you know? Yeah, and sometimes when you're trying to do original music and get projects launched those gigs pay the bills while right. your original original things are kind of the things you have to just invest it's an investment of time you know right um i was doing a lot of that and you know i call i just said throwaway gigs but in that in the process of doing those is how i met people like gary and zapata the other guitar player in the band mm-hmm. from just being at these spots and you know gary walk in i'd be playing a gig Gary would walk in with a guitar and the guitar player would always be like, Oh, that's Gary. Let's, <laughs> let's get him up here. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and Austin, like I said, it was, everything was, everybody kind of knew each other. It was, it, it, it's a very incestual it, at the time. It's, it's, it's grown up quite a bit, but at the time it was a very incestuous music scene, especially yeah. amongst soul blues, any kind of root roots music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean, yeah. how, how there can be like, you know, a few different circles and a few different scenes in a, in a city. Um, but as long right. as the city isn't saturated, all of those circles just overlap 
and, yeah, yeah, and exactly, everybody exactly. gets to play with everybody else at some point. Exactly. Um, I lived in Kansas City for seven years. It was very much like that. Um, and I found Atlanta to be a lot like that. Um, yeah, I think Atlanta's getting more like that. Am I wrong in saying that? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I've only been here three and a half years. Um, I, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good feel for it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, just in the time that I've been here, I, I consider myself to be part of a few different circles. And, I you know, I see those circles overlap, and I'm the beneficiary of that overlap uh, many times. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. Were you kind of, uh, you know, in it from from the ground up with Gary? Were you in the band? Um, No, uh, Well, Gary's been doing it, I think he was like 13, 14 years old when his dad started taking him to bars like Antones and places like that and throwing, you know, and sneaking him in and get him on, getting him on stage and stuff. Um, he, you know, he did tour a little bit of regional touring here and there and basically kind of happened real fast. Um, Zapata, the other guitar player in the band, had my number. Um, Gary... I remember hearing around town, like, oh, you know, Gary's got some stuff going on. Like, um, he had just done the, he sat in with, with um, Eric Clapton's back in band at the time right. on the, the Crossroads Festival in Chicago mm-hmm. in 2010, I want to say, something like that. And so spring of 2011, um, I guess Gary got offered a, a national tour ending in, at Bonnaroo. It was called the Bonnaroo Buzz Tour. And he didn't really have a consistent band. He'd always, every time I would see him play, it would be a different drummer. Um, same kind of pool of guys, but right. um, it, was all, it was always kind of a pickup thing. Right. Um, and I got a call from Zapata saying, hey, we, uh, me and Gary were just talking about you. Um, I guess he was kind of looking for a drummer that could do the root stuff, but also... Zapata had seen me play this weird um, kind of Iggy Pop and Stooges style punk rock gig a couple weeks earlier. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, I didn't know you'd do that as well because he knew me from the Greyhounds. Um, and I think Gary was kind of looking for some diversity like that, something rocking big, right. but also, also the Roots, Austin style, funky blues thing. Um, um and I got a call, and he was like, hey, we're going on this three-week tour, blah, 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 um, trying to throw together a band. And I just had a hunch. I, I, I kind of tossed aside, and I hate I hate to say this because I proud, prided myself on never doing this, but I kind of had a few phone calls to make to bail out on other gigs, which I, right. am I, up to then, I was in Austin for like six or seven years and I never, I prided myself on never like bailing on anything, no matter how, how much stuff I had going on. Right. Took the gig. Um, we had one 30 minute rehearsal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it all that was all telltale of of like it worked like yeah one one thirty minute rehearsal we got in the van a lot of us there was four band members and two folks with us helping um 
and a couple of us didn't know each other like me and the bass player didn't know each other mm-hmm. we all were connected through gary doing other gigs with gary but right um and uh yeah we all got along great we're in a, you know jumped in a van and went for three weeks and yeah it and it was, sounds like you it you, had awesome. a, you had a feeling about gary like you you know the reason that you were kind of willing yeah. to bail on these I gigs mean, and go against your policy like yeah, you, I mean, you the saw dude, the you saw the juice that he has. You feel it when you when you're playing behind. You know, there's people, there's singers and and people who kind of steer a band. Yeah, in a way, Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I wish people would realize the first time they call and you don't answer that <laughs> you're not going to answer the second and third time. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, he's man. He's one of those players where you're like you're playing and there's there's something else there. You can't really. It's on paper. It doesn't make sense, but there's just something there. You know. Right. Right. Did it? And make he you, on he sorry, on paper ahead. also makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did Did you find that that um, playing with him made you play differently? Like that it um, kind of made uh, changed your instincts about about drumming or about approaching a song. Sort of, but. I think that's that was more of an Austin thing. Like moving to Austin did that. Mm, yeah. The way players are in Austin is kind of a different approach, and I'm not can't quite place words on it. But there's a commonality commonality between that certain circle of musicians and bands in Austin that mm-hmm. appro- their approach is, you know, no rehearsal, jump up, do it. But yeah, one thing about Gary was like even if you're unprepared you get on stage and you put on a show right you know what i mean and i hate unprepared it's not the right word but you know what i mean even if it's unrehearsed like yeah and that's one thing that did this four-piece band that we initially went out with everybody had an unspoken agreement that the second we took stage there was going to be an energy momentum you know you were going to put it out there there was no hesitation right even even if the music was unrehearsed or kind of new territory or Gary would call out a song we hadn't played or rehearsed before or heard before. Right. You know what I mean? Um, there was like a kind of strong handed delivery aspect of Gary's playing, which sure. is what was kind of a thing that, you know, you know, strong handed, maybe it's not, uh, yeah, no, I know, I know exactly. Strong what hand, you mean. It's a strong handed delivery. Yeah. You know, like when, too. when you have a leader or a singer or any kind of front man that just has conviction about everything yeah, they do, yeah, yeah. it makes it easier. Like, like you said, even if it is not rehearsed, um, right. you can, you can find your way just following, uh, you know, following that conviction and kind of letting that, mm-hmm. that confidence, uh, uh, spill over onto you. <laughs> um, does exactly. He, does he still do that? Does he still operate that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so, man. Um, we're we've gotten a little bit more rehearsed because now we have we have a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. We have a large catalog of music now that Gary's got four albums out. Right. Um, and did you play on those or some of them at least? Um, here and there on tracks, Gary plays a lot of drums on his records. Oh wow! Okay. And and you know, like the new record is a lot of it is is um, loops and samples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with some 
some my drumming, some um, JJ Johnson, who's a badass, right? Tedeschi Trucks, Austin drummer, yeah. Tedeschi Trucks. He was with John Mayer for a while mm-hmm. when I moved, first moved to Austin. But um, he was also you'd see him playing behind Gary a lot in town when I first moved to town. Yeah. Um, and I know he was a mentor of Gary's because you know him having been in the music scene. And, um, but yeah, he's like one of those Austin guys that like you'll just walk into a bar with ten people in it and look behind the drums and see a JJ Johnson, right? Um, or you know a. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's all over the place in Austin. Like, yeah. there's so many legendary drummers just chilling out there yeah hunt sales you know who hunt sales is i know of him yeah I've not he played him. he played on iggy pop he played with iggy pop and david bowie and right he was on iggy pops that lust for light beat that yes yeah um yeah i remember that's like mark mark maron interviewed him on on the wtf podcast a couple years ago awesome and yeah he talked a lot about iggy and and all that stuff but he's also soupy sales son um, right. So he had this kind of like showbiz upbringing, and um, yep. yeah, that's very cool. Um, so since Gary plays drums, um, mm-hmm. like what is what does he expect of of you, and and has that changed in your time with him? A little bit. Um, he he makes like feel request every once in a while hmm. where like you know not exact things but he'll be like oh make it move this way instead of this way or you know yeah stuff like that that is a little bit obscure but it makes sense and you know right and since like i, I want to drive this point home because since i i can see you and the listeners can't no. like yeah, yeah you yeah. just you just move side to side versus forward and back and like just mm-hmm. in that in that little motion it's two completely different feels <laughs> mm-hmm. um and and two different ways that you could play the exact same pattern right it's not necessarily a tempo thing or right. a, like what you're playing just kind of a dance with it right. um i'm i'm super and, uh I'm super interested in the concept of, of like dancing behind the drums um, and how it can inform just the entire feel of what you're playing. Like what Man, I, I tell people that all the time when people are like, Oh, I, don't, I can't play drums. I'm like, you dance pretty well. Um, if you could dance, you can play drums. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I interviewed um, this guy, Dusty Simmons, who lives in Richmond and, and tours with uh, Chris Jacobs band. And he, he was the one that kind of really drove that home to me. He was like, when, whenever I'm playing a beat for a song, whether it's James Brown or an original song, like, I think of how I would dance to this song and, and let that, like, inform how I play the drum beat. Um, that's, it's a really totally. cool concept. And I, I do not dance, much to my wife's uh, consternation. Um, but I've, I've, been thinking of, I've been thinking about that more and more, just how... You know, your overall concept of movement affects how you play. Yeah. And not only like how you would dance, I think of it like not only how you would dance to it, but I also, I move around a lot on the, on the drum throne. Mm-hmm. So to remind myself of certain feels beyond the tempo and what I'm playing, to remind myself of certain feels of where it should sit, I kind of get into a pattern of 
moving my shoulders a certain way for a certain groove right or doing a, a head bob a certain way for a certain group to kind of keep me at a in a in a, in a zone yeah on that because you know adrenaline sets in sometimes and yep. you have a crowd in front of you who's reacting to something going on and you start moving differently and the feel changes right so right. I have like little little go to dances behind the drum set that like they'll <laughs> keep me keep me where I need to be. That's on cool. stuff, you know. That's cool. You know, um, you got the time. You got the time over there. I got it at uh, five forty. Okay. Yeah, I got like five minutes. Okay, cool. cool. Um, so you you mentioned like kind of the 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 Austin way, the Austin vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are there some ways in which Gary kind of like breaks the mold of? Uh, what historically has been, you know, that Austin kind of approach? Yeah, I think in, I think not necessarily in the, in the approach. He's all Austin, mm-hmm. I think. But in stylistically and sound wise, tone wise, um, he's definitely a little bit beyond. You know, Austin is very. In most circles that we came up, that. I say came up. I didn't grow up in Austin, but mm-hmm. in most circles that I pulled around my days there, people are very stuck to certain sounds and being very, you know, if you're going to quote styles, like know it and do it precisely. Right. And, and um, you know, Gary knows all the styles and doesn't can do them precisely, but he kind of, he doesn't necessarily keep it keeping that yeah tra- traditional sense and i would know. imagine for for guitarists especially like it goes beyond style i mean it's all about it's all about tone and sound and right. technique and and all that so mm-hmm. what are what are a couple of the um you mentioned like the stooges and kind of the punk vibe um but what are what are some of the other influences and flavors that gary uh brings to to austin and how does that uh you know how do you how do you approach that on the drums um it's you know there's a lot of hip-hop there Mm -hmm. um which which i you know i being a a 90s kid early 90s new york hip-hop is my that, that was my introduction to soul music and a lot of blues stuff through samples sure yeah you know what i mean yeah um and so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, you know, when we, when we all first got in a van and started talking about influences, what we're into, it was a pleasant surprise to see that a lot of the stuff that went beyond the Austin circle of what people know. And, um, Gary was into a lot of similar things like that, like the strokes, uh, uh-huh. Iggy Pop, the Stooges. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, man, I'll I'll let you go. I know you uh, you you gotta you gotta run. Um, and, yeah, man. But uh, really appreciate you taking taking the time and best of luck on the the rest of your travels here coming up. Yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks for having me, man. There you go, Johnny Rattelat. Thanks again to him for squeezing us in when he could. He's touring with Gary Clark Jr. all the way through the summer, closing out at the Hollywood Bowl at the end of September. So see if you can catch him somewhere out there. Once again, if you want to help support what we do, you can do so with as little as a dollar a month and get access to bonus content from our former guests. Lots of great lessons, tips, tricks in there. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer. 
Get in touch with us at workingdrummer.net or on Facebook and Instagram. Share pics and videos of your gigs on Instagram using the hashtag workingdrummer, and we'll be featuring those in our stories. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube, and leave us a rating and review on those platforms. This helps new listeners find us. Have a good 4th of July weekend. Be safe. Watch out for your hands. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.